Hi, and welcome back to I Love You. I know. I'm Amanda. And I'm Kevin. And this is our podcast about love, marriage, and Star Wars, but it's mostly about Star Wars. Kevin, what are we going to do tonight? We're going to finish up season two of The Mandalorian. It's going to be awesome. It is. Look, it's a, it was a whole, overall it was a good season. The second half was way better than the first half. And the first half was awesome. And the first half was awesome, but the second half was way better than the first half. Oh yeah, exponentially. So once again, if for whatever reason you're listening to this podcast instead of actually watching the content, like there's going to be a ton of spoilers here. So really what you should do, and although we appreciate you guys listening, what you really should do is stop listening to this podcast and start watching The Mandalorian Season 2. If for whatever reason you want to disregard that, we're going all in. So um, let's uh, be... Just one thing that I want to kind of get out of the way is that we did have one prediction that was really wrong. It's that um, in season one, we had three episodes that would begin with the word the or the and then move on to just like a one word title. We didn't have any of that in season eight. So uh, when we had episode four and again, when we have episode uh, eight or or whatever um, in season two, we uh, will have the word the once again. Yeah, and that was uh, that was actually kind of surprising. I thought you had spotted a really cool pattern there, and um, and it didn't work out. But there was nothing there. It, it was just me trying to overanalyze it. I guess. I guess so. Or or somebody changed their mind about how to name episodes. Not really clear. But yeah, we did not have that happen. But we still got four really good episodes here. We totally did. So let let's start with uh, chapter thirteen, the Jedi. Yeah, and this was one of the ones that we thought was going to be uh, not a uh, the episode. Um. We get to meet a Jedi. She's no Jedi, though. She's not. And that's actually a really interesting point on the name of the episode. Um, the Jedi we speak of, of course, is Ahsoka Tano. And from Din Djarin's perspective, she is as Jedi a person as she's ever as he's ever seen. Bo-Katan considers her to be a Jedi. She's not a Jedi. And it's interesting because, you know, this one was written by um, Filoni, I think, or Favreau, but both of them are, are heavily involved and they know her whole story. It's an unusual choice for them to call her a Jedi in this context. But but you know what? She doesn't call herself a Jedi at any point either. She so. doesn't. And other people do. And she doesn't correct them. And I think it's fine because at this point, after the after the great Jedi purge, like the, the distinction is a little bit different, right? She left the Jedi order when there was a Jedi order. Now there's no Jedi order. And so whatever she is calling her a Jedi is as close to anything Because Luke Skywalker and Yoda in his like hermit Yoda mode probably wouldn't have qualified exactly as Jedi in the old Jedi order anyway. So I guess this is the closest thing you have to Jedi these days. Yeah, technicality. But yep. anyway, we get to meet Ahsoka Tano, which yes. is fantastic. Uh -huh. So uh, walk us through how we get there. Yeah. So if we remember from the end of last season, um, Din and the Mandalorian, Mando, um, helped Bo-Katan and her uh, friends take over a ship full of weapons. And at the end, he, uh, she told him to uh, go to the planet Corvus and find Ahsoka Tano and tell Ahsoka that Bo-Katan sent you. Yeah, and that was two episodes ago. So then we have that kind of like filler episode where he has to go get his ship repaired. He goes back and sees his old friends. Right. And so this episode opens up on Corvus and we see basically uh, Corvus is some over-industrialized wasteland planet. Um, looks like the forest burned down. And we see Ahsoka sort of systematically dispatching a whole bunch of people who are shooting at her um, on her way to a walled city. Um, it's a very um, 
you know, kind of samurai movie vibe in the whole thing. But she very much slaughters these guys um, with really, you know, uh, no no compunction against killing them up good. And she gets all the way up to the city gates and the, the magistrate of the city is waiting for her there. Uh, the magistrate's name is Morgan Ellsworth. Elsbeth? Elsbeth, yeah. And um, her hired, uh, sort of hired gun named Ling is standing there with her. And Ahsoka basically threatens her and says, look, I just took out a bunch of your guys. You're going to surrender to me and tell me where your master is. And you have one day to decide. I'm going to come back tomorrow, which is, I don't know why you don't just finish it now, but, you know, whatever. Right. Meanwhile, uh, at the same time, Din Djarin Mando is on his way there. He lands with uh, with Baby Yoda and goes to the city because he has no idea how to find a Jedi. And he talks to the very same magistrate who shows him a spear made entirely of Beskar that she has and offers him that in exchange for killing the Jedi that is plaguing her. And, and Mando, in, in, a, in, in a, you know, one of his sort of more uh, like kind of guile moments basically says, hmm, interesting. Where would I find this Jedi? Yeah, he never really agrees to the task, but he doesn't say no. It, he again plays into his questionable th- set of ethics or not so questionable in that he believes that as long as he doesn't do the opposite of what he says he's going to do, he's still, you know, operating within his, his code of belief. And, and so he manages to strike up this bargain without ever agreeing to kill Ahsoka Tano. That's right. And he hopefully still plans on getting that Beskar. Yeah, and and I think in his mind, he's kind of in this place of like, I'm going to go find this Jedi. If I, I would imagine at this point, he's like, if the Jedi helps me, then I get what I finished my quest for Baby Yoda. And if the Jedi doesn't help me, then I'll kill them and get my spear. And I win either way. So um, off to the forest he goes to find Ahsoka. And when he approaches her, she just immediately out of nowhere just starts whacking at him with her lightsabers. So remind everyone once again where we left Ahsoka. To the best of our knowledge, she was hanging out in the world between worlds, kind of stuck for a while, right? That's right. Well, no, no. She wasn't in the world between worlds, right? So the last time we saw Ahsoka, right, was sort of in two different, two places that ended up being the same. In um, Rebels, the last place we really saw her was um in the fight on malachor which malachor was a sith homeworld had a big temple on it it's where ezra and maul and the others got a sith holocron and at the very end of that episode she's in a fight to the death with darth vader and as darth vader is about to strike her down ezra in the world between worlds later on in the timeline pulls her out of that place talks to her for a while in the world between worlds, and then she agrees to go back. And she goes back a few minutes later after Vader has left the temple because the temple's collapsing and he's pretty hurt. And she goes into a cave on Malachor to wait for some period of time. We don't know quite how long until it's time for her to come back into the world. And so she could probably have been there for up to maybe five or 10 years like we don't really know but she's definitely there during the entire rebellion in the galactic civil war right so let's say you're hanging out on the sith homeworld you're not a sith and you're all by yourself i think you'd be a little bit jumpy in the forest i think you would attack mando i think so probably yes at the same time she's pretty attuned to the force he's got baby yoda with him 
it seems like he's probably not sent there to kill her. Although, I mean, his he was sent there to kill her, so maybe maybe she was justified. But yeah, she's probably a little jumpy, so she immediately attacks him. And part of this is that what we learn from that attack is that her lightsabers cannot cut through his Beskar. Yeah, that, that is an important thing that we do learn, and it comes up uh, more importantly in other episodes as well. Yeah, so. is that Beskar is lightsaber-proof, so you know, just file that one away for later. Anyway, they have a very brief and intense little fight. Um, he's on the defensive, and he said, you know, when he gets a minute, he says, no, 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 I just came here to talk. Bo-Katan sent me. And she kind of looks over his shoulder and in a very Ahsoka moment says, she looks at Baby Yoda and says, ooh, I hope we're here to talk about him. <laughs> Yup, and, and that's so great because Baby Yoda, he may or may not remember Ahsoka. Like, presumably they were in the Jedi Temple together. Um, so it, it's entirely possible they've spent time together or at least, like, kind of seen each other in, you know, through the hallways of uh, Jedi school or whatever. But, yeah. Yeah, yeah. May, I, I, maybe. I got the kind of got the impression that she had never met him before, but then I don't know, right? But But ultimately... She sits down and meditates with him and is able to communicate at some level. And what she tells, she basically tells us uh, his name and his backstory. His name is sadly not Baby Yoda. It is not, nor is it Yoda, nor is it any word starting with a Y, which I would have sort of expected. But his name is Grogu. And he loves it when you call him Grogu. Yes. He's so happy that someone finally knows his name. It's yeah, wonderful. It is. It's delightful. And she basically says that Grogu, by you know, sort of listening to his thoughts, she understands that he was raised in the Jedi Temple on Coruscant. He had several Jedi Masters. Something happened to him, and his memories are dark for a period. And it's not... She's not really clear if that is dark as in he doesn't have any memories or dark as in they're so bad that he doesn't reveal what they are. But his memories are dark for a period and she gets no useful information. And then basically they are no longer dark when he's rescued from uh, whatever that planet was by the Mandalorian. And so, um, you know, and she says he has some amount of Jedi training, but she doesn't know what his capabilities are. And, um, you know, Mando's like, well, cool. Well, you're a Jedi. He's got Jedi stuff. My job is to bring him to one of you. So, you know, like train him. She's like, mm, I got to think about it. Yeah, she's really not warming up to that idea. She clearly sees that there's a bit of a familial relationship between Din Djarin and Grogu. She also knows that Grogu is incredibly powerful, but not trained. And that he has been through some stuff. And so most likely he's going to continue going through some stuff because she kind of takes a look at Din Djarin and knows that he, he lives a harder life. So um, her curiosity is definitely piqued, though, when he says that he was sent by Bo-Katan. So to her, that means that there's additional mission outside of what's immediately in front of her as well. Yeah, because if you remember at the very end of the Siege of Mandalore in season seven of uh, Clone Wars, um, Ahsoka and her unit of clones fought alongside Bo-Katan to retake Mandalore. So they're, you know, they're tight. And this this uh, this presumes then that she, because she's on Corvus for a short period of time, and so this presumes that she and Bo-Katan are still in contact. Um, but she basically says, let's sleep for tonight. 
I'll test him in the morning and see if he has any force potential. And so they go through a cute little exercise where she tries to get Grogu to like levitate a stone and he just refuses to do it. And Mando's like, I've seen him do this. I know that he can. And she said, yeah, he's decided not to. And so then he has the little knob that um, Baby Yoda loves to play with from the cockpit of the Razor Crest. And he holds that out for him and Baby Yoda is able to force take it from his hand. And so and at this point, Ahsoka basically says, I can't train him. And she says the reason is he has a lot of fear and he has a lot of attachment. And she said, I've seen fear. I've seen what fear and attachment can do to the best of us. And I will have no part of that. And she said better. She says better to let his abilities fade than take the risk of training him to understand how to use them. Yeah. And I kind of feel like that's a little bit of the coward's way out is that just because it worked poorly one time with Anakin doesn't mean that it's guaranteed to always go poorly. And I, I think that that is one of the tremendous failings of the Jedi as a whole. And it's interesting that the group that cast her out then tried to welcome her back, that she then turned her back on. She would fall back into their ways of doing things instead of thinking that maybe there's a different way to do it, which we ultimately learn, um, you know, with Rey, uh, you know, years later that she decides there's a different way to be a Jedi as well. But the fact that Ahsoka Tano is leaning on what she was taught, how she was taught by the people who betrayed her in the most painful possible way, that's what she's going to lean on to what it means to train a Jedi. I, I'm really surprised by that. I, I was a little bit, but at the same time, I think that she was really, really, I, I think that before she fought Darth Vader, she probably would have trained Grogu. But when she fought Vader on Malachor, and she sensed that it was Anakin and she even she even got a blow that revealed his real face and he recognized her and then still tried to kill her. I think that put her in a really, really like in a place where she could not handle the risk of doing this again. Like she just couldn't handle the emotional risk. I don't think that it was so much a Jedi thing. It was just a thing of like she she really couldn't go through that again. Perhaps, yeah. perhaps. Um, and, and it's also worth noting that this is only the second time in season two that Baby Yoda has used the Force. So we saw him use the Force in some pretty serious ways in season one. And so he's used it to steal cookies and he has used it to play with the little ball. And, and so the, the fact that, you know, he's really been suppressing it makes you kind of wonder if maybe season one and some of his very violent adventures with uh, Din Djarin have maybe kind of scarred him a little bit and added to that fear. Yeah. And he's definitely like suppressing his force usage to, to try to stay hidden, which is interesting. Like who taught him how to do that? How, do, how does he know how to do that? And whatever. Right. But basically then the rest of this episode is um, a big long fight sequence where, where Mando tells Ahsoka, Hey, you know, the magistrate paid me to kill you, but I don't want to, um, and she's like, interesting. Well, I want to beat up the magistrate and get some information. So if and and so what Mando says is like, well, I'll help you do that if you agree to train or he. And this is one where he creates his own verbal loophole. This was really this was interesting because I noticed this when we saw it going back to the first episode of the season when he told that one guy, I won't you won't die by my hand. And then he loophole kills him. Yeah. Um, he created a loophole on himself where he said. I will help you in your mission if you make sure that Grogu is trained, right? Which ultimately she does, but not the way that he expects. 
Yes. And that'll take us through the next few episodes. Yeah. But yeah, so we've got this really cool fight scene between um, the magistrate and Ahsoka Tano. And the magistrate is clearly very skilled. She's got a series of trainings. Um, she doesn't appear to be force sensitive. She doesn't appear to have any special powers. Allegedly, based on things that you and I kind of saw on the internet, it seems like maybe she may or may not be a night sister, but if she is from Dathomir, and I mean, I guess Dathomir was a fairly big enough planet, but who knows? Um, they really don't go into any of that, but there's a possibility they could expand it out. But she fights with the Beskar Spear. And it's uh, it's a pretty cool fight sequence. Yeah, it's really good. And and there's two things. One, yeah, the, her makeup artist and some other people who were involved in the episode said that she is from Dathomir. And when you look at her appearance, she kind of looks like a live action version of a Night Sister. So you could you could presume that maybe she somehow survived that, or she was off world at the time of of the you know the genocide of the Night Sisters. And then that kind of explains how she could hold her own against Ahsoka for a little bit. Um, I think the other really interesting thing was while that fight is happening, so there's a whole battle in the city and it, it's it's just a cool battle, but it, it doesn't really matter very much, except that um, at, at the point that the two of them are dueling, um, Mando is outside and he's talking to Ling, who's like sort of the hired mercenary who was defending the city. And he's trying to keep Ling and the other people out from interfering in that fight. And they're sort of listening to the fight in the background. And then Ling's talking about how like, well, we're not all that different you know, we're willing to lay our lives down for cause. And he says, and this isn't it. So he like is sort of slowly backing away. And then he tries to do a last minute draw a gun on Mando and gets shot and killed. But at the same, at the same time as that fight's happening, there's this like sort of battle of wills happening outside, but it's the, you know, the Mandalorian's not violent. He's just standing there quietly while uh, the two women are fighting. And then ultimately Ahsoka beats the magistrate, disarms her and, you know, with a lightsaber at her throat, orders her to tell her where her master is. And her master, she says, where is Grand Admiral Thrawn? Which is huge. Yes. We we kind of had an inkling that he had more story to be told. We had no idea when it was coming, how it was going to be introduced, uh, and if it was going to be uh, live action, if it was going to be cartoon, if it was going to be in a movie. We have no idea, but he's finally been introduced. And she uh, says... The magistrate won't tell her. Well, it's not really clear if the magistrate does or does not tell her because, you know, like the very next. So she she's very threatening about it. And then the very next scene, like the magistrate seems like she's not like decapitated. Um, she's been deposed. Right. And the people are like putting her on trial. So I assume that she told Ahsoka what she knows. Um Maybe, yeah. I don't know. It's hard to tell. We we just don't know. Yeah, but she seemed fairly businesslike, and she knew that she had lost. The more the point is this clearly is the setup for Ahsoka's show that's going to come out um, toward the end of this year, which will inevitably be her trying to find Thrawn to help her find someone else. Yeah. So, and before we move on into Chapter 14... There's a, a couple things that I think um, are important to note. First of all, I think Rosario Dawson did an incredible job as Ahsoka Tano. I think she really captured what we knew of her as the adult version of Ahsoka, not not just the you know snipped version. She did such a great job live action wise that they cast her perfectly. I think the the makeup, the attire, it was great. The lightsaber fighting, fantastic. Um, the internet was a bit of buzz about her um, 
her mantras her mantras about them not being fully developed the same way that they were in rebels and they look a lot more like how they do in clone wars so i i guess it's um it, i guess it's like people where your ears just keep growing as you yeah. age and, and it's they didn't keep growing and they should have yeah the there's a there's a out of the universe pragmatic answer to that is some of the folks who worked on the episode said we we understand that but when we basically built the prosthetics when we built them to the appropriate length it was too hard for her to do the stunts and so they made them basically the the size that they could tolerate and still have her do um all of that because all of the stunts rosario dawson did all of the choreography and did it in full costume and they did not want to do any kind of motion capture or anything so they basically said look we we built a we built a prosthetic that would work for the choreography and like just deal with it yeah and and you know what it was one of those things that i didn't notice uh, until we we kind of finished the episode and we started talking about it And, and so you know it certainly doesn't take away from how great of a job that they did in putting the whole thing together but for all of you people out there who might like to nitpick these types of things, they that was like the one thing they didn't quite get right. But from a practical stance, you understand why. All right. So we, we move on. Um, oh, the, well, the, before we move on, we have to know where we're moving on to. Right. So at the very yeah. end, right after the defeat, um, the, you know, like sort of the leader of the people of the, the city um, takes over and, uh, you know, Mando gets ready to hand Grogu over to Ahsoka and he's he has a little bit of a tearful goodbye and he's like here and she's like nah I'm really I'm really not the person to do this and he's like but you promised and she's like yeah well I'm not gonna do it and she said take him to the planet Tython place him on the seeing stone at the top of the temple if Grogu wants to he can reach out and contact or or reach out to try to contact another Jedi and maybe someone will be listening and maybe they'll come and help. But honestly, there aren't that many Jedi left and it's up to Grogu. And so this is interesting to me for two reasons. One, because there aren't that many Jedi left and she's right about that. And two, that um, it gives it's the first time that Grogu has had agency in his in his own future. Right up to this point, he's just been a little tottering guy and handed off and kidnapped and handed off from people to people and whatever. And now, I mean, other than where he's defended everybody using the force, but like this is the first time where he has an opportunity to make a decision about his own life. And so he can very well go to the Tython and do nothing. He can reach out. He can do whatever. And so now he has a choice. He has a choice. He's got his buddy Dinjarin. Dinjarin has a shiny new Beskar spear that Ahsoka Tano gave to him. And uh, they, they've got places to go. So that brings us to Chapter 14, The Tragedy. Yeah, and there's this one is badly named because there's more than one tragedy, but there are tragedies. There are. This is also a very quick episode. I feel like we watched it, and then later on that same day, we watched it again. Yeah. Normally, we wait like another day before we watch it. Yeah. I, but there, there was a lot happening, and we really wanted to like go back in and see it again. Yeah. I think I read that the script was only 19 pages um, because a lot of the... There is not a lot of dialogue and a lot of the time of the episode is spent in battle scenes that are very, very good. Um, but yeah, there's a, the, the plot is short but impactful. So we go to Tython. Um, Mando's flying around the planet. He sees what looks like the temple. Real, I, I love the line where he, uh, 
he says, well, we can't land right there. We're going to have to go the rest of the way with the windows down, which is his way of saying we're going to jetpack it over there. And he and uh, he and baby Yoda are flying on his jetpack and ears flapping. Ears flapping. Yeah. So they get to uh, the seeing stone. Now, Tython, just for um, people who love their Legends canon, was in Legends is the name of the planet that is like the origin planet of the Jedi. And that there's I, it's a, either a game or a book or something where where you where it's it's actually Tython is like a hidden world in the in the inner core. And it's very hard to get to. And like it's the place where like Jediism was invented. That's not really the case in the Mandalorian, you know, sort of timeline. But there is a very ancient ruins of a Jedi temple there. There's a seeing stone with a bunch of carvings on it. And uh, he puts he sets Grogu on the stone and he was like. So is there like a button or something? <laughs> and then out of nowhere, like a literal force field, a field of the force appears and Grogu starts to meditate and even has his little hands in a lotus position. It's adorable. Yeah. Yeah. And you can tell he's like really super duper strong with the force because it is a serious force field situation going on too. So Mando decides to give Baby Yoda a little bit of privacy and, and kind of walks away a little bit. And then what do we see up here? Uh, a ship that we have seen several times before. It is none other than Slave One, the uh, personal starship of Boba Fett. And remember how I've ranted a few times on this podcast about how we don't need any more Boba Fett content? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I am not often wrong. And you can attest to that. In 22 years, I haven't been wrong a ton of times. But when I am wrong, I am extremely wrong and this dear listeners i was so wrong we needed more boba fett content this was so great i was wrong the rest of the universe was right and i was really pumped when we saw what happened yeah uh all that yes uh you are very rarely wrong in this you were very wrong and it was pretty great um so boba fett shows up you know, and, and, you know, Mando uh, runs back to Grogu and's like, all right, buddy, time to go. Tries to reach through the force field, gets rejected. And he's like, cool, I'll buy you some time, I guess. And so he goes to confront whoever's on the ship. And what we see is the Boba Fett is the scarred, robed person that we saw at the end of the Marshal on Tatooine. And so... um he confronts um, he confronts Mando. They draw guns on each other or something. And he basically says, whoa, 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 whoa. I've got a sniper on the hill. He will the sniper will get a shot off before you can take me down. And he's like, cool, but I'm wearing Beskar. So what? And he's like, no, no, no. Sniper's pointed at your little friend there. And he's like, I just want to talk. I just want my armor. And, um, and Mando's like, you can have my armor when he's peeled off my dead body he's like i don't want your armor i want my armor and um and then that's when he's like what what okay wait time out let's all let's let's have a truce and let's figure this out and so the sniper comes down from the hill and who is it now this is one where i am not great at making predictions but i very very strongly and i remember i came hard at you about this particular thing and i was very wrong and you were very very right so you get redeemed here in this moment is I was absolutely certain that Fennec Shand was dead. Totally not dead. Totally not dead. And clearly rescued from the desert in Tatooine by Boba Fett, who was without his armor. And now he knows where his armor is because he saw the whole thing go down on uh, Mos Palgo. 
and he saw that the marshal lost his armor to the mandalorian and now he's been tracking his armor trying to figure it out plotting his course because it turns out boba fett's maybe not the jerk that we thought he was yeah he's just another bounty hunter he as he says and he quotes his own father he's just a simple man trying to make his way through the galaxy um and so uh him and fennec shan basically say yo like i um i want my armor back uh we've kind of got you and grogu dead to rights uh grogu's bound the bounty on both of you is worth way more than armor so how about you just give me my armor and then we'll call it a day and he and and as Din Djarin's about to consider agreeing, and, and he's conflicted because he knows that Boba Fett's not a Mandalorian. And so he doesn't want to give him Mandalorian armor. And he's like, well, that armor belonged to my father. Your people gave it to him. He gave it to me. It's been in my family for generations, so don't worry about it. And uh, and then as he, they're about to make a decision, who should show up but some freaking stormtroopers? Yeah, terrible timing for them to finish their resolution. And at this point, you know, Boba Fett still wants his armor. Din Djarin still wants to protect Grogu. Grogu still wants to commune with the Force. And Fennec Shan, she, I think she kind of like, I get kind of a Han and Chewie vibe and that she feels like there's a life debt situation and, and they're sidekicking it up. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, right now they, they can't, no one can finish what they're trying to do uh, unless they agree to team up. And, and so that's what happens is that, uh, Boba Fett agrees, and Fennec as well, that no harm shall come to Baby Yoda, and th- in exchange, they will, um, you know, he can have his armor back. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so, um, you know, as they made that deal, these stormtroopers show up, and the reason that the stormtroopers show up is if we remember at the end of that filler episode, um, some spies for Moff Gideon put a tracking device in the in the Razor Crest. So these stormtroopers land. Um, whole big firefight starts up and in the middle of it um you know we we see the razor crest get blown up out of nowhere and that's the first tragedy yeah that that's really sad and for whatever plot device reason at some point dinjarin takes off his jet pack and that just makes it harder for him to be able to go up the mountain to get to grogu meditating so we we've got a series of, of fighting we see just how skilled of a, a warrior all three of them are, um, but unfortunately, they're, they're just not quick enough, and, yeah. and that's our second tragedy. Yeah, and so, yeah, I mean, at the at the last minute, um, Fennec Shand and Mando are about to, about to get swarmed, and Boba Fett comes out of nowhere in his full armor and just starts to destroy stormtroopers, and in a really cool sequence, and part of this is that the director, uh, Robert Rodriguez, I want to say, um, put into this was that not only did Boba Fett use his like armor weapons, but he also used the gaffy stick he got from, um, from the, uh, sand people and like literally smash stormtrooper helmets, which is something that we never really see, right? There's a lot of pew pew die in, uh, in, you know, in star Wars and you never really see like damage, but like he is brutally killing these guys and then he gets his armor and then he's got weapons that you've never, he had, he has blasters in his kneecaps for some reason. Right. And so he gets to the point where stormtroopers are running away from him, but, um, Moff Gideon launches these dark troopers, which are some sort of droid super duper battle guys. And they grab Grogu and fly him back up to his cruiser. 
Boba Fett pursues in Slave One, gets out of the atmosphere, gets up high enough. I guess it's not out of the atmosphere because Yoda was in it, <laughs> not died. But um, he gets up there and he's like, whoa, there's an Imperial cruiser up here. I'm come back down. And he lands and he's like, wow, the Empire's back. And Fennec Shan's like, no way, that can't be. And he's like, look, they got a cruiser. Like, I don't know what to tell you. And they got the baby. And um, and so Mando's picking through the remains of the Razor Crest. And all he's got left is the little knob and his Beskar spear. Yeah, it's a sad day for Din Djarin. Yeah. Um, and so that truly, you know, is the tragedy is, is that we, we've lost Grogu. We've lost the Razor Crest. However, I would say that the upside here is that we have a partnership now um, with Boba Fett, Fennec Shan, and Din Djarin, and that they've all come together and they agree uh, not only to um, help Mando get off the planet because he's kind of stuck there, but also to help him get the child back, which is huge because – Really, I think that they they went a little bit too far with their ethics, like their their code of honor. Um, but it it, w- it was really cool to see that they chose to make the right choice there. Yeah, he was going to kind of let them go and say, well, you got your armor back and it was your because because Boba Fett shows him the chain code that's built in the armor and shows his father, Jango Fett. And it, it's it's actually interesting. Somebody translated um, the Arbash on the screen and it basically shows Jango Fett. Um, and his father, Jester or Jaster, Jaster Creel or Jaster Real or something is the is legendarily the name of the, the father of Jango Fett. And then that Boba Fett inherited the armor from him and that that's his father. And like there's a whole there's a whole bunch of information in that actual chain code. And so Mando's like, well, yep, it's your armor. So I guess you get it. And they're like, well, we have to help you. We agreed that no harm would come to the child and we failed in that. So we're going to help you out. So they all leave the planet together to try to figure out what to do next um, and get um, get him back. And where they go is they go back to familiar faces on Navarro and ask Cara Dune to help them locate uh, the one Imperial person they know that could maybe help them find Moff Gideon's cruiser. Right. And then the episode ends in a funny but disturbing way. Um, so Moff Gideon has Grogu locked up. He He's in a fairly large prison cell. He's, he's in the normal size. It just it looks large because he's small. Yeah, I don't know. It just seems kind of big because there's several other folks in there. And what uh, our, our dear little baby Yoda is doing is it is not sweet it is not dear but it's a hoot but he is beating the you know what out of these storms yeah he's just torturing stormtroopers and like and everybody lets it happen like moff gideon comes in there and this other stormtrooper says i've set the stun and he's like no nah, it's okay and baby the, he's just throwing these stormtroopers around you can hear him breaking bones he's strangling them he smashes them together they kind of get up he throws them against the walls and he's just going to town on these guys and nobody has a problem with this um until Gideon draws the dark saber on him and he reaches for it. He's like, no, 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 you don't get that yet. Yeah. And and it's interesting because again, we've talked about, there were two other instances um, leading up to making this giant, like force field projection off, um, you know, the rock there that baby Yoda used the force to steal cookies and to move the silver ball. Then he reached out through the Force. He may or may not have connected with other Jedi. And now he's beating the you-know-what out of some clone troopers. Like, he, he's he gone all into embracing the Force right now. Yeah, yeah. 
And so evidently that makes him sleepy. So he falls asleep and the episode ends. And so now we come to what I would call a borderline filler episode, but maybe one of the best episodes that we've. Yeah, I would call it a gap episode rather than a filler. It really doesn't it, it advances the main plot only a little bit, but it uh, advances some side plots and some depth of character development uh, across the universe. We uh, really needed this. We really did. And it also gives us a little space to process the tragedy and deal with the fact that, you know, this is really important. It also ends it. it the biggest thing, I think we get character development out of Cara Dune. We get development out of Mando. We get development out of um, Migs Mayfeld, who they spring from prison to help them out. Um, the one Imperial guy that they the knew. The one Imperial guy that they knew. They basically go to, uh, they, so they start out with, you know, now that uh, Cara Dune is a, is a marshal, she can go to uh, New Republic prison colonies, which apparently they do forced labor prison as well in the New Republic. Man, their, their ease of embracing a system of forced labor, indentured servitude, and slavery, it just, it boggles the mind because you want to believe that these are the good guys but the good guys continue to embrace all of the bad habits of the bad guys and all the bad habits that got them to the point where they got overtaken by the bad guys but here we are once again watching a very sad prison situation right which i think is is actually the really the part of the theme of the episode right because they basically go they spring mayfeld they say we need you to help us with your imperial connections what we need is we need to access a terminal to find Moff Gideon's ship. And he's like, yeah, put me back in prison. I don't want to do that. And they're like, too bad. You're going to do it. So um, he's, he gives them the name of a planet. I think it's Morak, yeah, which Morag. is not Morag, which is a Guardians of the Galaxy thing. Totally different planet. Um, Morak, uh, he said there's like a there's some sort of uh, Rhydonium, which is an explosive refinery there. And he said, if we can get in there, then we can get to a terminal. And to access the terminal, you have to let it scan your face. Evidently, any face will do. Um, and then you can look up stuff on the Imperial Network. Yeah, so several things that are really interesting. First of all, um, the title of this episode is called The Believer. So we're trying to figure it out. And I, I think when we first sat down, I was like, oh my gosh, Mayfeld, he still believes in the Empire. And so that that's what I was expecting to see, that he was going to betray uh, our, our friends. And what what's really interesting is as we continue on through the episode, we learn that that's not really the case. Um, the other interesting thing about the fact that Mayfeld has this imperial knowledge and presumably he knows many different locations where they could find a terminal and he picks this one particular one and it ultimately unfolds as to why he picked it because there's a certain personal motive going on um but they they all go together and it, it's a very interesting group of people uh you know sitting together figuring out what's going to happen next yeah because we have boba fett we have fennec shan we have uh cara dune who is of course an alderinian rebel and then we have uh, Migs Mayfeld, who is a former Imperial sharpshooter, those two obviously don't get along very well. Um, and and so they basically come up with this whole thing where they've got to, you know, they've got to hijack a, a truck and then drive the truck through to the refinery and then get into the thing. Um, and there's sort of two hitches in the in the plan. One is they the thing is run by the Imperial Security Bureau ISB. Think of them like the KGB. 
they um they will scan the DNA of people moving through, and so Boba Fett can't go because he's clone. Uh, Fennec Shan can't go because she's wanted. Cardoon can't go because she's New Republic. Uh, Miggs can go because he's Imperial, and the only person left, they, they won't let him go alone. The only person left to go with him is Din Djarin, but he can't go wearing his Mandalorian armor, so he actually has to change into the armor of an Imperial, which makes him very uncomfortable. Yes, and and it's so funny, too, because there's this whole, like, running joke because there's the, the driver of the truck and his, um, you know, front seat passenger. I don't know what that guy's job was supposed to be anyway, but... Anyway, so when when they hijack this truck and they they change clothes, um, you know, you can tell how uncomfortable it is to be in those stormtrooper suits, and we we already knew that from when like Han and Luke wore them yeah. in uh, A New Hope, so we knew that it's poor visibility, we knew that it's poor protection, we knew it's really uncomfortable, not very good mobility, but as soon as they get into the truck. Uh, Mayfeld takes his helmet off. He's like, this is stupid. And then he just keeps kind of ribbing at Mando, making fun of him, you know. And you kind of expect him to because he's never really shown himself to be a nice guy or anything. And we also learn that there's this element of explosiveness of the Rhydonium. And we don't really know what it is or, or anything or, or why they're they're mining it. It's just it's very volatile. And there's this... Um, tracker to show like if they go too fast then maybe it heats up and, and so it's very sensitive and so they've got this long perilous mission of, of driving one straight narrow road um to, to get to the refinery <laughs> and that's that yeah and so it's a whole big long thing and i think that the two key points in there are that you know through the whole time migs is ribbon mando about you know he's like the empire the new republic they're really all the same. It's it's really about who's in power and how they're using that power. And he's like, look around here. And they like sort of drive through a village. And it's got a very like Vietnam, Afghanistan sort of vibe. And he's like, you, like these people, he's like, do you think they care that these like it's imperial? It's whatever. We're we're on their land. He's like, do you think, you know, all those people, the Mandalorians conquered, you think they were happy to be conquered by the Mandalorians? And he's like, it's all a matter of perspective, blah, blah, blah. And then they get um, attacked by native pirates, essentially, that are just blowing up this Rhydonium left and right because they're trying to get the Imperials off their land, right? And so, you know, of course, Din Djarin being the, the great fighter that he is, he fights them off uh, long enough that some TIE fighters and some stormtroopers rescue them and they get to the refinery. And as they get into the refinery, and this was a really, really interesting scene to me that they, you know, they're they're getting protected by these stormtroopers. And he even says, he's like, when, when did you ever think you were going to be happy to see stormtroopers? And then they sort of pull into the garage and there's a celebration and it's like sort of the first time that you ever see imperial people as people that they're like you know they're like celebrating that these guys made it and like all of the other trucks got blown up and all their comrades got killed it was and one of five trucks to make their delivery that day right. so that means that a whole boatload of rhydonium got blown up at least eight other guys died because it appears there's always two guys on these trucks and the the entire mission that is the refinery would have had a completely useless day if these guys hadn't made their way in. Right. And so they get out of the truck and people are patting them on the back and whatever. And so they go into the officer's mess because that's where the terminal is. And um, well, they're, they're about to go in and Miggs recognizes his old commanding officer is sitting in the mess. And he's like, 
I can't go in there. I don't know if he knows me, but I can't go in there. I can't see him. We got to abort this mission. And Din Djarin's like, well, it's cool. Like, I'll go do it. And he's like, no, because the machine's got to scan your face. And he's like, and this is where he demonstrates that his love for Grogu overrides. And, and this was the whole thing that Miggs was bugging him about the whole time. He's like, you're wearing your helmet, like your whole religion. Like, what's it really about? Like, why are you doing this? Who are you doing this for? And so he finally recognizes that his love for, for Grogu overrides his whole creed and all of his things. And he walks in there and he takes his helmet off and lets the thing scan his face so he can get the coordinates to Moff Gideon's ship. And so this begs many questions. First of all, what kind of security system scans a face just to see a face without identifying it with any reason? Like, it's not like he's in a database of approved faces in which this approved face could get XYZ information, which is needed for them. But no, he just has to have a face. That's all it is. And so what what's crazy is he goes up wearing his helmet at first, hoping that maybe that might work. Then when that doesn't work and the terminal's terminal starts like calling attention to the fact and you know um the officers start looking over going this doesn't look right then that's when he takes off his helmet and mayfeld winds up walking in like oh man no big deal i've totally seen you without your helmet before but he's like trying to be all smooth about it but you know din Djarin is having a, a major freak out like he he realizes that something means more to him than being a mandalorian yeah and so just to address the security con- the security thing, <clears throat> the only argument I could come up with is the same reason that fire trucks and tanks don't have keys. Because when you are in the middle of a battle, you don't worry about whether or not you remember your password. You want to know who logged into the terminal, but you don't really care that, that, you know, like you can't call IT support while people are raining down fire on you. So maybe it's just logging the face so that later they can find out what happened. I don't know. But yes, he has a total freak out. An officer starts asking him his name and his number. Miggs sort of talks his way around whatever's going on. And then um, they sit down and they get into this. And, and this officer offers to, to buy them a drink and says, hey, you know, what should we toast to? You're like, we could toast to health and to success. He's got this slow drawl and he's like, but I want to toast to something real. And uh, Mayfeld says, let's toast to Operation Cinder. And he goes, that's a man who knows his history. And they start talking about this thing where on some planet they slaughtered thousands of civilians and most of Mayfeld's um, division or unit got killed. And they get into this debate over like sacrifices made for the glory of the empire. And Mayfeld keeps saying, like, was that sacrifice good for the people who died? He's like, what about my buddies? What about those civilians? What about all this? And he's like, it's all done in the in the name of the empire. Yeah. And, and so the name of this officer is this Valen Hess. And it's a guy that we know that Mayfeld has seen before. And that's where when you're you start watching Mayfeld get up on his soapbox and start questioning the the motives and, you know, is it all worth it in the end? It makes you think he picked this particular terminal. He knew. And, and so then you also start wondering, okay, well, who's the believer? Is the believer the Mandalorian in the Mandalorian Creed? Or is it this guy, Heth, in what the Empire and the Imperial Code stands for? So you got two different kinds of sets of believers here. And then you got Mayfeld, who it turns out he he maybe does believe in what's right and what's wrong. Um 
but it turns out he's got a little PTS and um yeah, he he's not making it, and and Din Djarin's still kind of freaked out yeah. because he's just he, sitting there. He's sitting there with his helmet off, not saying a word, and then he realizes that like Mayfield's like poking this officer, and he's just slowly like shaking his head, like stop it, stop it, stop it, and then Mayfield's like yeah, 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 boom, <laughs> pulls out his blaster and just smokes the guy right in front of everybody. Yeah, yeah. So normally, um, I I've not participated in any military situations or in any recreational military activities such as sitting in the officer's mess but i'm pretty sure that when you shoot an officer in the cafeteria that just you can't walk away real easily from that and this is no exception yeah but what's really funny is that kind of all the other troopers just sort of stop for a second and look around and don't quite know what to do and then in that time mayfeld like takes out everybody else in the room and then he throws Mando his helmet and says, I never saw your face and neither did they. And then they proceed to escape and then they get away. And at the very last minute in their escape, you know, because um, Fennec Shan and Cara Dune sort of snipe for them and pick them off. Boba Fett swoops in with a ship. And at the very last minute, um, Mayfeld grabs uh, Boba Fett's um, cycler rifle, which is those big, long rifles that the Tuscans uh, have on Tatooine, shoots the supply of Rhydonium, blows up the whole refinery, and just hands the gun back to, to Din Djarin and says, you know, you got to sleep at night. Yeah, and that, I think, he knows what that Rhydonium was going to be used for. And he knows that it's going to be used to hurt all of those innocent civilians on different planets. And the bad feelings that he had from Operation Cinder, he doesn't want to see recreated. And so he takes, you know, they they went from being the celebrated heroes who brought through the truckload of Rhydonium. And then they went to being the guys that were being chased down by the other uh, stormtroopers to now being the guys that just blew up the whole darn place. Yeah. And, and so they're standing in the jungle and, and kind of figuring out, OK, well, let, let's take you back to jail. And uh, a, a different thought crosses everyone's mind. Yeah. Cara Dune starts saying, boy, it's really too bad that mayfeld didn't survive that and he thinks now like she's gonna execute him and she and she looks at you know mando and he's like yeah boy that's really a shame and she's like you know i guess we can't bring back the prisoner because he died wink wink and he's like i'm gonna go now and she's like you better you better do it before i change my mind and so she basically lets him go and says that she's gonna file a report that he died in the in that refinery explosion. And so he's left to his own on that planet. And, you know, and it's, and it's kind of a big moment for him. It's a big moment for her to kind of see the redemption in an Imperial. And they also get away with the information they need. And the episode closes with Moff Gideon getting a hollow message that is basically a mirror of his speech from the end of season one where man it's the Mandalorian. And he says, you know, you have something that I want. You may think, you know what it means to me, but you do not. And, you know, I like, I know I'm coming for you. Yeah. And I think that it's really cool that he turns that speech against Moff Gideon that now we've got this like cat and mouse game. And we know we've got one episode left to resolve it. And we also know that we've got Mayfeld out there in the galaxy. He may come up again. So that that's kind of cool that we have that option. Um, and also we, we get to see, you know, that we, we've got the band back together, if you will. We've got Cara Dune. We've got Din Jarwin. We've got uh, Fennec Shan. And we've got Boba Fett. 
and now we've got a thread on Moff Gideon. And that brings us into chapter 16, the last episode of the season, The Rescue. Obviously, we're going to have a big showdown, you know, like and and to the credit of the the show, you know, like there's a little bit of like, man, are we, you know, maybe not going to get we're getting a cliffhanger. No, no, no. This episode delivers on everything, everything, everything. So and one thing just going back to the last episode in this episode, one of the things that other shows have done and they could have done was like made a whole big long thing of like Bustin Mayfeld out of prison in order to use him for the next thing. And at the beginning of this episode, they go to get Bo-Katan and her uh, Mandalorian buddy whose name is Casca uh, Reeves, Casca Reeves, who, by the way, the actress who played Casca Reeves did a really big like these guys were really good about keeping some spoilers under wraps. On Twitter, she flat out was asked, are you going to show up again? And she says, absolutely not. I will not be in any other episodes of The Mandalorian. She kind of went a little bit too far from the no spoilers to flat out lying. But, uh, you know, whatever. It's fine. We will take her lies and we are appreciative of them. Yeah. So, but there's there's a whole like assembling the big team. And in even the beginning of this episode where they also uh, they get an Imperial shuttle and they cop capture Dr. Pershing and they use a little bit of his information to help them plan the whole thing. It goes very quickly. Like we don't mess around. Like even the Mayfeld, like he has a whole episode, but like the getting him out of prison wasn't a whole big to do. It was just like, yeah, yeah, we got him. It's the opposite of Avengers Assemble. Like, yeah, it's just like you put the call out, you're assembled, you're good. Yeah. You don't you, you don't have to spend an hour assembling. And so so what we what we get is we get Bo-Katan and she and she and the other Mandalorians and Boba Fett. She actually recognizes his voice and gives him a lot of guff about being a clone. And he calls her princess, which a lot of people are like, is there going to be a Bo-Katan Boba Fett romance? And I'm like, like Han Solo and Leia. And I'm like, no, that's not a that's not going to be a thing. No, but he knows her as being the sister of the Duchess Satine. And so, and, and at one point, having been the leader of Mandalore, whether or not that makes her a princess or not, he chooses to call her that. So. Right, which which is something that Din Djarin doesn't know about her, right? And the, like, not a lot of people know about her. So it's interesting for him to reveal that. Um, but basically, they say, hey, we're going to go attack Moff Gideon's thing. And Bo-Katan's like... You don't know where it is. You no one can find it. And they said, We found it. And she's like, I can fight Gideon. They're like, Yeah, I sure, I guess. And and basically Mando offers her like, you can have his ship, you can have all his stuff. And she's like, Can I have his sword? And he's like, I what sure, fine, whatever. Like, just help me get the baby back and I don't you do whatever you want. I don't care. So um they've now got a crew uh to attack this ship of Boba Fett, Fennec Shand, Caradoon. Right. She's yeah. still. Yeah, she's still there. Bo-Katan, uh, other Mandalorian. And um, they get intel from Dr. Pershing about the dark troopers that are on board. He basically tells them there's not a lot of people on this light cruiser, but he's got these dark troopers. They take a few minutes to boot up. So if you can get to them before they're booted up, you can you know beat them pretty easily. But if they boot up, you're pretty toast. And they come up with this plan to basically like frontal assault Moff Gideon's cruiser. Um, and everybody's going to go attack, get to the bridge. Uh, Mando's going to go to the brig, get baby Yoda, get out of there. And Bo-Katan says, Moff Gideon is mine. Only I should fight him. Nobody else interfere. Yeah. And so, uh, what we see, and I think the reason that they chose to do this 
is if you remember from the the third episode of season two, there's actually three Mandalorians running with Bo-Katan, or including her. Um, but this episode, we just have Reeves with her. And I, what we have are four really badass women kind of just running through the, the ship and, and, you know, getting their way to the bridge and doing a really great job of it. Um, and, and then we've got Din Djarin to the side. And, and Boba Fett is, is flying his ship, so he, he's not in on this fight. But Moff Gideon is on the bridge, and he's watching everything unfold. And, and he realizes he needs to leave the bridge, and he makes some other choices. Yeah. And so the whole team storms to the bridge, and this is where Bo-Katan expects to fight him. But instead, he's waiting in the brig, sort of guarding Baby Yoda. And he and he and uh, Din Djarin have a really interesting exchange where he sort of, you know, basically he's like, wow, I can see that you're really attached to this baby. I really just wanted to do some research. I got what I needed. I've got his blood. He draws the Darksaber and he's like, have you ever seen this? Do you know why Bo-Katan wants this? It's kind of an important Mandalorian artifact. Do you even know about this? And Din Djarin's like, look, bro, I don't care about any of your stuff. Like, I just want the child back and... That's all I really care about. And Moff Gideon's like, okay, okay, okay. You know what? I will give you the child if you promise to never bother me again and that our paths will never cross again. Mando's like, cool, that's what I want too. And it seems like everybody's being super reasonable. And then Gideon literally tries to stab him in the back, which he can't do because he's wearing Beskar. And then they have a fight. Right. And this is after Mando has kind of gotten his rear end kicked in a little bit by some of those dark troopers. And he's vented a bunch of dark troopers into space. But it, it took a little bit of toll. So he, he's kind of weathered here at this point. It's been a tough fight. Um, getting to the bridge, the the women, they, they had a couple of battles as well. So, you know, they're a little bit worn out. And, you know, we're we're waiting for maybe Baby Yoda to use the force. Nah, he's just like cooing, looking adorable. Um, and thank goodness for Beskar, because otherwise Mando totally would have, uh, you know, Caesared that ish. Yes. But um, so essentially uh, we, we've got a pretty big fight scene between Gideon and uh, Din Djarin. Yeah. And it goes on for a while. I'm like, you know, it's it's basically he's using the Beskar spear against the Darksaber. Darksaber only almost cuts through it. I really thought because he cuts through the walls a couple times and I really thought it was going to like blow up the ship or something. But for once, for once, for once, we have like a little bit of light damage to a spaceship that does not result in the full destruction of the giant spaceship. Um, so I still go back to the fact of that the, Death Star, the opposite will? of the, the or the executor, right? Which is like the super star destroyer. Like, like a little piece of the bridge gets damaged and then the whole thing just falls into the Death Star and blows up. What is that? That anyway. So, yes, fight, fight, fight. Uh, Mando ends up winning, gets the dark saber and then does not kill Gideon because Cara Dune wants him alive to pump him for information. And he literally says, what? You're not going to kill me? Well, this is going to be interesting, <laughs> which yeah. I thought was both a great line and a great delivery. It, it really was. It really was. And and that's the thing is, once again, we see this interesting set of ethics and, and honor that Din Djarin subscribes to because he's killed lots of people. He clearly has no problem killing. Killing Moff Gideon, one more kill, no big deal. But they walk onto the bridge 
and he's got baby Yoda in his arms. He's got the dark saber. He's got a, a perplexed but amused Moff Gideon. And he he says hi to all of his friends. And what does Bo-Katan do? She is livid. She's like, wait, you did what? You fought him? And he's like, well, yeah, he was down there and whatever. And Gideon's like, he and he's like, he becomes the narrator at this point, which he seems to really enjoy. And he's like, yeah, he fought me and he beat me. Isn't that a problem for you? He's got the Darksaber now. You can't have it. You have to win it in combat. And she's like, hmm. And Din Djarin's like, here, you can have it. It's right like right here. I don't care. And he's like, nope, nope. That's not how this works. She has to fight you for it. And now one of these days, you guys are going to fight or she doesn't get to rule Mandalore. And he's like, no, it's fine. Like, let's fight. I yield. I give up. You can have it. And she's like, hmm. And um, yeah. And that's the thing is that I feel like we've talked about the Darksaber. We've seen stories about it in Rebels and in Clone Wars. And, and we should be okay with it passing hands but it isn't like that and so i don't know if it isn't like that because there's some kind of magical force subscribed to it or if it's just purely the myth behind it so here's my here's my theory on this right because the last time that bo-katan got the dark saber it was given to her not in combat but it was given to her by sabine with the consent of the heads of the most powerful clans of mandalorians and she got it that way, and she ruled Mandalore up until the Night of a Thousand Tears, whatever that is, we haven't seen it yet, when the Empire decimated Mandalore, killed most of the Mandalorians, potentially destroyed the planet, and took the Darksaber from her. And so I think at this point, she does not feel like she can be the rightful ruler unless she gets it in the traditional way, which is wins it in battle. Um, and I think at this point, she has she has led the Mandalorians on the grace of somebody giving her the Darksaber before. And that's not going to work for her again, especially with all of the non-Mandalorians in the room. That, that the story is as important as anything else. And she has to win it. She has to prove that she deserves it. And having it given to her by the guy who won it is not going to be good enough for her this time. Yeah, so that sets up who knows what coming in seasons three and four, hopefully. Um, but a as of right now, Din Djarin doesn't want it. He doesn't need it. Um, she wants it and needs it, but they're not going to fight each other. And then those pesky dark troopers are, are finding their way back out of space, opening their way back into the ship, and they're, they're going to wreak some havoc. Yeah. Um, also, I'm not convinced that entirely convinced that if the dark troopers hadn't showed up, she wouldn't have fought him for it right then and there, which probably would not have gone well for her because she really had no weapon to counter the dark, the dark saber. But anyway, he's now got the best car spear, the dark saber and like the best armor in the galaxy. So he's doing pretty well. Um, dark troopers show up. They uh, get prepared to storm the bridge. Moff Gideon is just sitting there chuckling and he keeps speechifying. And as they start trying to break down the blast doors, he's like, you've got an impressive team, but you know that in the end, the only two people that are going to be alive in this room are me and the child. The rest of you are going to die at the hands of these dark troopers. And everybody else seems to agree with him. Like no one thinks that they can beat an entire platoon of them because one by itself almost killed Din Djarin. They appear to be blaster proof and fireproof and everything like he had to wrench its head off with his spear they don't have a lot of spears so um they're looking pretty doomed and then they get a proximity alarm and we see fly by the windows an x-wing 
and I totally knew it was coming. And you totally knew it was coming. A week before this episode, I said, what Jedi do you think is going to show up in the last episode? And we talked about it, and I, I made a suggestion, and you're like, no possible way that would happen. Yeah. Every possible way that totally did happen. We I get to see I Luke was, Skywalker. I was so wrong. We got to see Luke Skywalker. And and the look of fear on the face of Moff Gideon was really amazing. Like he went from gloating, realizing he had won. When he hears it's an X-Wing coming, he also knows. Wh- I don't know why or how he knows, but he knows what's about to happen. And we see the thing that I've wanted since The Last Jedi came out. And that is to see Jedi Master Luke Skywalker in his full power. And he just mauls through those dark troopers in a very, very cool parallel to Darth Vader at the end of Rogue One. But he just rips through them. He's force pushing them. He's deflecting bolts in front of him, behind him. He even shoved one out of the way. It gets behind him, reaches for him with his arm, and he just sort of casually kills it from without even looking. He force crushes one of them, and he just beats his way through these things that were, you know, the unstoppable foe and showed that even though we have some of the best fighters in the galaxy at the time, they are nothing compared to him. And so he opens the blast doors and at the around the time that Moff Gideon thinks he's beat, he finds a blaster on the ground and tries to shoot. A, he shoots Bo-Katan a few times, but she's fine. And he tries to shoot uh, Grogu and Din Djarin jumps in the way and then he tries to shoot himself and Cara Dune knocks him out. So he's out of the picture um, and the doors open and <laughs> in what is like the most Mando thing to do, he's like, are you a Jedi? <laughs> Yeah, and and it's so funny because uh, Grogu is watching the security monitor, and he's his ears are all a flutter with interest, and, and his eyes are sparkling as he watches this other Jedi make his way through. And, and you know, if anything, I think Grogu was the one to notice first because he felt that pull of the Force. So now we know who he was communing with, yeah, and and who he sent his uh, Force juju out to in the galaxy. And in walks uh, Luke Skywalker, who, like we said, I expected, although I don't think I expected them to do the full-blown CGI. I I thought maybe we were going to kind of like gloss over that in some way. But um, they de-aged Mark Hamill, uh, and they kind of made him a little bit more attractive than I remember him being. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. It, it's fine. Um, call, call it, call it the force radiating through him. Like, you know, cleaned up his, cleared up his skin a little bit. Ma- I don't know. Maybe, maybe. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, it doesn't really matter. So in, you can tell that it's him as he's, if you haven't already figured out from the X-Wing and the green lightsaber. You and, see, the, and the glove. And, and the glove. You see him come in finally and, and you know who it is. And, and Din Djarin doesn't know who this is. He's like, oh, you're a Jedi. Oh, okay. Well, then I got something for you. And and this is where if, if you don't cry during these last few minutes, you're a soulless monster. Yeah. 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 Because um, Baby Yoda kind of peeks out behind a chair and... Luke reaches reaches toward him and says, hey, little one, come on. And and Mando's like, he doesn't want to go with you. And Luke's like, no, he wants your permission. And he's like, no, it's okay. You can go. And then he sort of picks him up and baby Yoda reaches for his face and he takes his helmet off so that he can see his real face one time before he goes with Luke. 
Yeah. And you have to remember, we got Bo-Katan in the room who was like, oh, you're one of those guys. Yeah. We've got Reeves, the same idea. We've got Cara Dune who's like, oh, my goodness gracious. I can't believe you did that. We got Unconscious Gideon. And we've got Luke Skywalker who literally just met Mando, so he doesn't he really doesn't know, know or care. Yeah. But we've got all these strangers that are watching Din Djarin be his most vulnerable because what he has now learned is that Creed isn't just about the the way of the Mandalore. It, it's about family. And Baby Yoda is his family. When, when he got that, um, what was the slug The Mudhorn. Mudhorn. Um, when he got that put on his uh, shoulder there, that, that was his symbol of family. And, and so now he's got like, the this thing that is bigger than him and and he has to say goodbye to it yeah and so you know baby yoda walks over to luke and then r2d2 rolls in and i don't know for sure but it sure seems like r2d2 and grogu recognize each other i feel like they totally did too yeah and uh and so then he seems much more at ease because he's like oh this guy i know i've i've met this droid and uh, and, you know, Luke kind of salutes everybody and then turns around and, and and he says, I will give my life to protect this child. And then Din Djarin's like, we'll see each other again. And then they turn and leave. And that's sort of it. Yes, except it's sort of not. Every other episode of The Mandalorian has ended with a series of um, cartoon type sketches of scenes from that episode. Uh, artist renditions of, of different scenes. This kind of ends like a movie. You just see all the credits roll. The The music is very cinematic. And luckily, um, we were encouraged by the internet to continue watching all those uh, credits. Yeah. And as that ended, what do we see? None other than Bib Fortuna sitting on the throne in Jabba's palace. He's uh, He's gotten big. Not Jabba big, but still big. He's big for a Twi'lek. And um, we see a shadow come down the stairs, and it's Fennec Shand. And she takes out three of his bodyguards. She frees his slave dancer and, um, you know, sort of clears the way. And then we see another shadow. Boba Fett walks in. And in Huddy's, uh, Bib Fortuna is like, Boba, buddy, I thought you were dead. Uh, how's it going? And then, blam, he's dead. Yeah, Boba wasn't uh, going to stand for that. And, and it's very interesting because you kind of get this cool like vibe from Return of the Jedi uh, of people walking down that set of stairs. But what's different is instead of, you know, trying to have some kind of negotiation or use of the force, just blam. And, and so Bib Fortuna still sitting on the throne, but Boba wants to sit there. So they kind of move him off, kick him off the throne. And then like Boba Fett sits down in the throne. Fennec Shan grabs some like pitcher of blue wine, starts drinking. And then it just flashes to coming soon. The book of Boba Fett. Yeah. And we now have one more, the 11th property that is going to air in the next three years. This is distinctly different. Very clear, not season three of The Mandalorian, a whole other show that will run parallel to Ahsoka, the uh, uh, Rangers of the New Republic, Mandalorian season three, and the Book of Boba Fett. All four will run in parallel and culminate in a now four-way crossover end of season uh, story wrap-up. 
which makes you wonder if this is some kind of SEC violation in that in the investors relations meeting that Disney did not disclose this 11th piece of content. However, I think it's awesome they chose not to because they didn't ruin this episode for us. Yeah, uh, from to, to that angle, I would say that in the public investors showcase they didn't include it who knows what was said in like the private shareholders meeting there are no secrets though there, there's yeah. no way they could have yeah. kept this a so secret, no so. they just kept this a secret and 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 then decided to announce it here and so yeah so now we have another property we have more of the story of boba fett and what he's going to do and it gets us more fennec shan which i am pretty happy about totally happy about that uh ming-na wen is incredible first of all she does most of her own stunts she has not aged. She's incredibly thoughtful in the way that she acts. And she just brings a level of power to the stage that, you know, you want to see more women have in in their roles. And so I, I'm just looking forward to that. And it was pretty cool. She just like walks around to the back. She knows where the good blue wine is and, and just starts drinking right out of the bottle. And, and you, you wonder, you know, like is is this criminal syndicate what they're looking to pick up? Because we talked about how I didn't want more Boba Fett content, and then I totally changed my mind when we see Boba Fett come in um, and, you know, negotiate for his armor and then help to rescue Baby Yoda, that I was like, okay, I'm all in for it. So I just don't know. Do I want more Boba Fett content in which he's a criminal? Do I want it where he's a hero? Or is there something in between that we kind of came to learn and appreciate about the Mandalorian too? Yeah, tough to say. Also, Ming-Na Wen, the only person who has been a Disney princess in the Marvel Cinematic Universe and in the Star Wars universe. Yeah, yeah. A hat trick of awesome roles right yeah, there. Yeah, so, good for her. So as far as relationships go, because we occasionally talk about those, um, I, I feel like there really wasn't anything in a romantic relationship, but we did have uh, the, the father-son relationship that was, for once, not a complete disaster. And I think that we've always only had disasters of father-son relationships in Star Wars. Yeah. Do you think there's potentially a blossoming romance between Din Djarin and Cara Dune? Um, you know, he continuously goes to her for help. She puts a lot on the line to help him and his and his his baby. Um, she seemed really impressed when, um, you know, he put this mission together. She seemed really interested when he had his helmet off. Um, you know, is there is there some potential setup there? Maybe. Um, I, I feel like because we think that she might have a bigger role in the Rangers. A series that maybe not but maybe she won't and she'll be kind of still in the Mandalorian story and, and then we would I, I feel like he just doesn't connect with her like that um if you remember from season one when they're doing the like arm wrestling and then baby Yoda like force chokes her out and, and he's like no 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 we don't do that but he's still like totally cool you know um arm wrestling it, it, it's not you know they're not sitting you know necking on the couch so yeah but like to be fair he really can't neck on a couch with his helmet on and you know kind of arm wrestling is the most intimate thing that he does with another human in the entire show in that like they're holding hands and they're doing a test of strength which is both of them kind of the only thing they know is that not the closest thing to a hug that you can see from him to another human good point good point yeah and, and 
you know, she she gets to see what's under the helmet, and, and as we also get to see a, a very handsome man who who's capable of love. So that that's good stuff too. Because remember so when maybe. they were hanging out together on um when they were on that peaceful planet, and she was sort of encouraging oh, him sanctuary? to yeah, the, she was encouraging him to go after that widow. You could kind of see a little bit of her like wouldn't mind that herself. Um, so there's there's been some like she was there for his one and only other real relationship, and so. Like there may be something there. I don't know. Like it, it seems like they're a good pairing. Definitely like no one in Bo-Katan. Um. Yeah. See, I feel like it might be more interesting in the development of how Bo-Katan wants to get the dark saber back, that there is some kind of chemistry between them. Interesting. Yeah. Cause at this point I don't see that at all. There's just mutual. Well, there's disdain from her and indifference from him, which you know, I've watched a lot of TV, so sometimes that blossoms into some really interesting relationships. So, you know. Yeah, but yeah. but essentially we don't have very much in any kind of romantic entanglements. It's just a father-son relationship. It is finally heartfelt. It is not completely dysfunctional. I, I mean, there there has been a lot of dysfunction. If Din Djarin had just, you know, like had a Snickers bar or something on the ship, like a lot of these problems would have not even happened. But, um, you know, we that's really the focus of the relationship. And I'm so excited to see where season three takes us. And especially with all this new content, like I cannot wait for that. Yeah, very exciting. So here's my question to you, because this is the thing that like three or four different people have asked me this. The internet is a buzz on it. Probably worth for us to touch on it for a second. So at this point in time, Luke is gathering students for his new Jedi temple. Oh, ben, man. Ben Skywalker is probably about five. Grogu is around 50, right? Some 15-ish years from now, uh, Ben will become Kylo Ren and slaughter the temple. Where's Grogu when that happens? Yeah, so if you remember, shortly after we finished watching this episode and we're dabbing our eyes with Kleenexes, I said, you know, this means that we're going to find out that Kylo Ren kills Grogu, right? And I hope I'm wrong. Like I said, I'm very rarely wrong, but I was so wrong about the Boba Fett stuff, so I hope I'm wrong about this. I hope this is not the end of our adventures with Grogu and Din Djarin. I hope we get him back. I also hope that if we don't get him back, that he has a much more honorable and noble um, end, if he must have an end, than dying at the hands of Kylo Ren. Yeah, I think all that. I, I, you know, I would find it hard to believe that a character like that with so much potential is going to to meet that kind of end i mean we obviously don't see him during the sequel trilogy but there's a lot we don't see there um you know if he's still around luke would probably know where he is unless he's put him into hiding somewhere but i think it's just as equally likely that something happens in season three that he comes back into into the picture and and is on a different path but you know, we don't know. It's also entirely possible that that subplot's going to go away for a little while as we have a like retaking of Mandalore and allow Din Djarin now to focus on joining. There were enough hints dropped that Bo-Katan said, if you finish your quest, you can join us in our quest to retake Mandalore. And you've now got a guy who has no family obligations, at least for a while, while the kiddo's being trained. He's got the Darksaber. He's got nothing else to do, and maybe he's going to help take the homeworld back. So, 
Yeah, season three is going to be really interesting. I want to see how it works out. I I find it hard to believe that we're never going to see Grogu again. I also, you know, as much as you were totally right about they brought Luke Skywalker content in, and I would love to see some Jedi Master Luke Skywalker training Jedi students. I'm not sure how much Jedi they're going to lean into um, in The Mandalorian, but, you know, you never know. Like maybe maybe there's a cross tie with Ahsoka or, you know, something in her show where she's going to bump into Luke. I'm still not convinced she knows who Luke Skywalker is, but there's enough tremors in the force right now. She may find her way to him. And then, you know, maybe she and Grogu go off to go find Ezra. Like, who knows? Like, I don't think this is the last we're going to see of him, but I would, I do hope that there's a better end to his story than uh, what it could be. Completely agree. It just, I, I mean, we've talked so many times about how much I don't care for Kylo Ren, and I, I just would hate for Grogu to meet his demise that way. So uh, we're, we're kind of Star Wars-less for a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. Like, you know, Disney's going to start up some Marvel shows in about a week. Um, so we're going to have that content. I've got one. Of, we're, we're running really long, but I got one other thing to throw at you. And then maybe we'll we'll think about what our next topics are going to be. But just uh, just something to put in your head, because we haven't actually talked about this before. There are some people who are rumoring that the return of Luke Skywalker, the existence of Grogu, the unresolved potential end of Grogu could be Filoni and Favreau basically creating some sort of, you know, use the world between worlds or whatever to cut out the maligned sequel trilogy and create a new timeline that does not include those stories. How do you feel about that? Like episode seven, eight, and nine, just completely gone. We don't need Ray. We don't need any of them. We don't need the new yeah, order. More, yeah, more or less like the first order doesn't rise and or like, you know, like that stuff sort of gets retconned into alternate universe a la Star Trek and that the prime universe carries on in a different direction where there is no Kylo Ren. Consequently, there's also probably no Ray or Ray become Ray comes into picture in a different way in a different future, but basically wipes out some of the inconsistencies created by those movies and allows a path that doesn't have to end that same way. So I would not care for that. Like as much as I hated episode eight, I don't want to undo what we've seen. Like, and I think that we've seen in other series of, of shows, we've seen um, in, you know, we can use the Flash and, you know, their, their multiverse. Like, it, it just, it's too much to try to keep straight with all the different timelines and, and that kind of thing. And I think that's the, the cheap way out. And I feel like everything that Filoni and Favreau have done um, up to this point have been very thought out, very... Um, acknowledging of the fans appreciation for what we want to see happen and that I, I think that to you know just undo years worth of other people's efforts just to you know progress their their views isn't what they're going to do they're going to find some kind of really creative way to integrate it all and I think that you can look at the histories of their other previous works, be it, you know, Star Wars or, or otherwise, and see that they're both very capable of doing so. And I think that they're surrounding themselves with other talented folks um, for these other Disney projects that will encompass all of that. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, they wrapped up the Ezra story in a satisfying way. 
um, that actually has created, you know, more potential. They wrapped up Ahsoka not being dead, but not being in the rebellion. So I feel like they've got the they've got the chops to figure this out. But I agree with you. I, as much as there are problems in those sequel movies, and I think, and I think this is probably a subject for a near future podcast, is kind of this is more Star Warsy than that. <laughs> um, what, what what we just talked about. I think that there is, uh, it, it's not, we shouldn't get rid of it. it. It is part of the canon, and that is what it is. And yeah, it's not our favorite, for sure. But, yeah. you know, th- there are people out there who don't like the solo movies. It's part of canon, but we'll, we'll uh, work through it, you know? Yep. So. Well, yeah, so what's coming up then? You know, I, I think we're going to look at some of the books, some of the comics. We're, we've got some exciting things to uh, focus on with the... Uh, High Republic, some new content is coming out there. I know we've had conversations with lots of friends and family about additional questions they have, hypotheses. So I think we might bring in some new guests and, uh, you know, just kind of move on from there. All right. Sounds great. I love you. I know. <laughs>